Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with my good friend, Sid Meadows. Sid, how are you doing today? Oh, Ben, I'm doing great. It's uh, I'm excited to be here today. It's been a, been a while coming. It absolutely has. What took you so long? You had to wait till I actually got a following before you wanted to be on it or what What was the deal? No, I just needed to make sure that I could have all my failures written on one page or actually in a whole book before I got into the hot seat. Yep. Uh, mine's a never ending list. So I'm always adding to it every day, it seems. So for anybody who doesn't know you, which probably a, a substantial portion of the people listening might, uh, you want to give a little bit of a shameless self-promotion or a humble brag or whatever I like to say about inflating yourself before we <laughs> deflate you a little bit. So, yeah, um, my name is Sid Meadows and I'm a business strategist and high performance coach. And I work with entrepreneurs and small businesses in helping them leverage the power of digital sales strategies to build their brand and grow their business. And, you know, the world's changed. COVID accelerated digital marketing in a way that uh, nobody anticipated. And I think there are a lot of businesses that are not really sure how to implement digital sales strategies in their business to grow their business because we are living in the seeking generation where people seek everything that they want through the use of a device and a little app on that device called Google or on their, you know, browser. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we Google on the daily multiple times a day. And so what I do is focused on helping small businesses and entrepreneurs leverage that into a sales strategy. Full disclosure, I am currently paying Sid for his advice. And if you go look at my website, Sid, you'll see I doubled the price of my Excel course. So Oh, nice. I didn't even tell you, but you did not tell me. That's fantastic. I'll have to go check it out. Yeah. So I'm proud of you, Ben. That's really awesome. It was not easy. So I appreciate the the nudging and everything like that. So what do you think? Pretend like COVID didn't happen and then realize it did. What do you think is the biggest takeaway from the change in, in remote work or, or digital marketing or whatever you think is, is what maybe accelerated with the, uh, with the us of all staying at home? So that's a really great question. There's probably like 10 answers to that question. But what I will tell you is that I believe that the advent of the hybrid workplace is challenging businesses more than they realized that it would. What I mean by that is for so many years leading up to COVID, outbound sales were super effective and really easy. Depending on what you sold, let's use copiers as an example. You could actually really easily walk into a building and start going door to door in a building, inquiring about copiers, copy services, copy supplies, printing supplies, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you'd meet with a little bit of rejection. You might get kicked out, but you're going to, you know, maybe get a few business cards. It was easy to do that. You can't do that today. You can't just walk into a building, right? And start going door to door. Also, what happened with this is that your ideal customer, the person that you need to talk to, maybe the person that is making the decision about the products that you sell, there's a 50 plus percent chance, Ben, they're not in the office. Mm -hmm. There's also a 50 plus percent chance, especially in today's world, 
that they're not even in the same city that you're in. So the hybrid workplace has really, in my opinion, disrupted businesses in a way that no one was prepared for because we all of a sudden learned that we can actually be effective and productive employees, not working in the office on the daily, working from home. And in some cases, this mass exodus has happened from major metropolitan cities to people moving to other places where work-life integration is much better than it would be if you were living in a city like Dallas, where I live and having to commute for an hour one way to your corporate office. So the advent of the hybrid workplace has really challenged businesses on how they how they find and cultivate leads into their business. I, I don't like the word hybrid there. I think we can all be remote, but I imagine you mean some in person, some remote by hybrid. Yeah. So hybrid is the, the advent of the hybrid work model is that you're in the office a couple of days a week and then you're working remotely a couple of days of the week. Like I will tell you, uh, my niece works for a major brand in their marketing department. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a long time they were working remotely and then they went back into the office and she's been hybrid. She's been in the office a couple of days a week, working from home a couple of days a week. She actually had to apply and go through a process to get approved to go 100% remote. And well, that's so what I don't want from the beginning. That's why I was saying like, you know, this yep. kind of sped that up, but I don't like that. We still, I mean, how do you save money on rent when you have to still buy monthly rent and then have mm-hmm couple days of the week. I mean, I guess you have less space and people share space, but yeah, I, I don't know if you were, I remember reading in college and by reading, I mean, probably the cliff notes of uh, the world is flat by Thomas Friedman. If you've ever read that, it, no, I've globalization, read but I think it's more true now than ever that mm-hmm. every, I mean, for every person that you could meet in person, there's probably 80,000 of them online somewhere. If you can oh, figure yeah. out how to reach them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If you know where to go and if you can figure out how to reach them, right. Or how to connect with them into certain communities, wherever that might be. But, you know, I do think that this hybrid, this hybrid model is here to stay. It's not going away people. And I think it's mostly driven by Ben, what I mentioned a minute ago, which is, excuse me, work life integration, mm-hmm. because there's no such thing as balance. Balance means that both work and life are equal. Have they ever been equal? Not if the boss has his way. Yeah. So this is about integrating your work and your life together to get to a place that leads to the highest level of productivity as an employee, but also the greatest joy in your life, which is why you see people moving away to places like the beach or to the mountains or, you know, packing up and going to Arizona when they live in Boston because the weather's better in Arizona six months of the year than it is in Boston. So, you know, that integration of life and that balance of life and really integrating them, that that's, I think, what drove this, this exodus from cities. So that's why, again, this is a huge challenge that businesses are trying to figure out because they're trying to reach their target customer. And all of a sudden they're discovering that their target customer is online first and not in person first. Yeah. But imagine also the amount of competition from no names like myself who 30, 20, 30 years ago would have to use direct mail and commercials to reach any audience. And now you can hyper-focus and hyper-target somebody based on their behavior online and things like that for cheaper than you could ever send out any piece of mail back in the day. Okay. So So, this is funny that you mentioned this because 
we were out of town for the weekend and we came back yesterday and I got the mail and in the mail was junk. Like this magazine, this flyer, this promotional. And I just looked at it and I looked at my wife and I went, when are these people going to realize there is a better way? Because all I did was look at it and throw it in the recycling bin. It's like spam. When yeah. email first came out, that was, cr- you know, crazy. Now all that's left in the regular mail game is either people who are genuinely doing it, which is rare mm-hmm. or just a bunch of junk mail and bills. And people don't want to look at that stuff. Typically no, they don't hit the delete key more than we ever thought we hit the delete key from the spam folder because the first line of the that either the header or the first line of the email you know whether it's a solicitation or somebody's trying to sell you something and not add value to your life right mm-hmm. there's a completely different and i mean i i can tell you the dozens that i just delete a day that i never even look at them because i know exactly what they are and i'm not alone yeah, even me, who knows how important open rates are. I used to, I'm not sure if I use it anymore, have a, a tracking blocker that wouldn't let them know when I opened up an email. But I'm like, I know that I wouldn't like this if I was sending the email, but at the same time, I don't want them to know. What That's I'm right, because once you open it, right, they start to target you again and they know that you yeah. opened it. Or whatever. I just, I don't want to be on the hook. It's like a red receipt at work. Yes, yeah, so, you don't have a, <laughs> any option, really. It's like that. Yeah, it's like that text message that you didn't. You want to read it, but you don't want to open it because you know the other person is going to see that you actually read it. You're on mark on red on texts. Listen, I think yes, they do. They need that. That's not available. Well, we just came up with it. I'm sure we didn't. <laughs> we're not the first ones, of course. No, uh, who knows? So, what is the biggest change you've had to make uh, with this whole shift in? in culture and everything like that. I know you've started your own business, which I'm not sure what you were doing before. I mean, I'm paying you. I don't know what you're having people pay you with (laughs) before, but feel free to tell me your, your story that led you to here. Yeah. So, um, this month, April, um, in fact, probably Friday, April 1st. Yeah. So April 1st was my fifth year anniversary in business, which is a huge, hurdle that a lot of businesses don't. Thank you. Thank you. You know, a lot of businesses don't get there, especially entrepreneurs. I'm at 10 years, but I was not making any money (laughs) almost all 10 years. So, yep. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. So I, uh, the real quick version of this story was I'd worked in corporate America. I did what, you know, my generation, what you're supposed to do. I got out of college. I got a job. I had bills to pay and I started paying those bills and then more bills come. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm stuck on this hamster wheel of corporate America, which is great. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I had multiple different um, jobs, um, all in the same industry. Right out of college, I started in the office furniture industry, started selling office furniture, and then made my way to distributors, to manufacturers. And I, you know, had a 30-year career selling office furniture. And I finished my career in corporate America for a major brand as a senior vice president of sales, covering half the country responsible for about half of the company's volume. And I was a road warrior. I was on the road six days a week. <laughs> it felt like, uh, you know, every day I was going somewhere. In most cases I was, my kids were little. Um, and I had been a road warrior for probably 20 years. And What's a rough it, estimate as to how many butts you put in seats. Meaning, um, Oh, meaning, Oh, Office I could, furniture. I don't know. I, I can tell that it's going to be a lot of chairs. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to do some math. Just quick. The, Guess so, uneducated guess. 
I'm going to guess probably higher than a million. Oh, I was going to say 150,000, but that makes sense because you're selling them mm-hmm. in yep. prime bulk. Yeah. Yeah. So like the largest project I ever won as a sales leader, or in this case, this time I was a sales leader when I led this initiative was uh, 10,000 um, seats. Wow. Well, you know, so- one, one, one particular project was 10,000 seats and I've been in the business for 30 years. So that's why I say a million. Well, that sounds so a too lot. much like winning talk. So what was the, do you have any failures related to that sale? <laughs> Did you have big clients that you lost or big things that you learned from some of the mistakes you made while selling? Oh gosh. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, every step along the way, I think I learned something, whether you win or whether you lose and you know, sales is a, a lot, it's a journey right? You, you try different strategies, you implement different things, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work, but you learn from them. And so, but I will say the most memorable struggles that I had um, as it relates to failure of some sort is in my entrepreneur journey. So, let me go back to my story. Uh, after 10 years working with the same company, I just kind of jumped off a cliff. I was mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausted. I was tired of living in a suitcase. I had two of everything, always had a suitcase packed. And I just like, okay, this is, if there was ever a moment that I was going to start a business and do something on my own and fulfill my freedoms, which are personal, professional, and financial freedoms, now was the time. I was 50 and now was the time for me to make it happen. So I did. And, you know, as with a lot of businesses, in this case with me, I had a huge connection um, a huge uh, network of people. And we started out with a bank. How'd and you go back in time though? How would you get younger than 50 since then? I wish, <laughs> I wish, you know, a little plastic surgery. I'm just kidding. I'm not had plastic <laughs> surgery, but sounds good. Right. But dude, every day I notice more wrinkles coming up. Let's just say this one's got Ben written on it. <laughs> yeah. I, whenever I smile for a picture, I wrinkle my forehead and then I yeah. realize I'm creating wrinkles in the future. That's right. That's exactly what you're doing. But You know, the most memorable thing for me at the very beginning is probably two years into my business. I had a um, lady working for me. We were doing some really cool stuff and really getting some great results for our clients. And we were pursuing a customer and um, we had multiple conversations with them, a whole team of them talking about their business. And, And then we put together an amazing proposal to them. And I've talked about this story a lot we put together this amazing proposal for them and gave our final pitch. And um, I was really proud, dude, I was doing first mistake of what a lot of entrepreneurs do when they uh, have a really good presentation, start counting the money. I was counting the money, Just right? There's I, no uh, definitive signs of no, basically. No, there was no signs of no. Every, every buying signal was there. Mm-hmm. Two days later, I get this email. Hey, thanks. We've decided not to proceed. That was it. So I'm like, no info. Okay, it's a shocker. Do what? No info. No, no, no nothing. Ex- no, no nothing. excuses. So I, to that point, I reached out directly one on one to the guy that we've been working with, who I knew pretty well, and said, "Hey, we're a young business. We're still learning. We're still growing." Um, I would really appreciate some feedback as to what made you decide not to proceed. I wasn't trying to grasp at straws to close the sale. I really wanted to learn from the process, right? Well, he did exactly what you think he did, which was ghosted me. And it took about a day and that, that a day later, when I realized he wasn't going to respond, 
it sent me into um, a downward spiral, something that I had never experienced before. And what I now know to, I now know to believe that I was on the verge of depression because of that instance. Oh, well, I have a big problem with the lack of closure. Is that the main issue there? Or what was the, what was the thing that made you feel the worst about that specific situation? It's a great question. Um, I'm going to say two things. The first was uh, the lack of closure because I didn't know why, because mm-hmm. I can't improve unless you tell me what I need to do differently or what I didn't do that would have gotten you to a yes. I can't get better, right? For me, this is all about forward progress and getting better. Mm-hmm. I can't do that unless you tell me, okay? <clears throat> the second thing was, I had this first, this was also my first time to really acknowledge and understand imposter syndrome. Like who the heck am I to do this? Who am I to share insights? I mean, I had every one of those things came up. And so mm-hmm. Ben, I literally, I was working in a co-working space at the time it was a couple of miles from my house. I would go in to the office. I would close the door. I would turn the light off and I would lay on the floor. And just like literally asking myself all these questions. Then I get up, I'd come home. I put a, bright, you know, a strong face on and go about my business at home and my family. And then the next day I'd go back and do the same thing. And it's finally about the third day into this. Just, I was like, what are you doing? That's what pretty quick, honestly. I would, yeah. I would have spent a couple of months. You know, it felt like a couple of months, honestly. I mean, I mean, my business was stopped. I wasn't answering emails. I wasn't responding to phone calls. Mm-hmm. And so finally, I just like, what are you doing, dude? And you can't do this. this is mentally not good for you. And so I was, I read something. I was either read something or listened to a podcast. And one day I'm going to figure out exactly which one it was. And it just kind of made me stand up and go, I have a choice here. And I can choose to wallow in this self-pity and defeat, or I can choose to stand up, put my big boy pants on, and keep moving forward. And I, that's what I chose. But what I learned in that process was to give myself grace. What I mean by that is to give myself the grace to deal with bad things that happen in my life, because there are going to be bad things that happen in my life and in my business. None of us are immune from bad things. Okay. But in that process of learning to deal with this was to give myself grace to acknowledge the bad call it out, acknowledge the bad, here it is. And then to ask myself, yeah, that's right. Acknowledge the failure, right? How low am I going to go? How low am I going to let this take me? And how long am I going to stay there? Those were the two questions that I got as the takeaway from that. And I find myself asking myself those questions on a pretty regular basis when things don't go the way that I hoped they would go right? I don't get the result that I wanted. Then, you know, I like, okay, deal with it. Give yourself the grace. How low are you going to let this impact you? How much are you going to let this impact you? And how long are you going to stay there? I'm going to give you a freebie. You can call that the Kit Kat method. All right. Tell me about give that. Give me a break. Oh, <laughs> give me a break. Right. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that. Give the yourself a break. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I like that a lot. So that yeah. was Go ahead. No, I'm just saying I agree. I'm brilliant. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, you are. You're a marketing <laughs> genius. <laughs> so, but I do think that that was like the first time that I was able to really acknowledge of an impactful, an impactful failure that really stopped me. Right. What do you think about it? 
was this time because it was your own business, meaning when yes. you're working for somebody else, you could hide. So here's the, the thing: wasn't you, when you're working for somebody else and you lose a project, you still get paid. Mm-hmm. When you work for yourself and you're a solopreneur, maybe a small entrepreneur with one or two people, you and you lose a project of that size, then it impacts everything right? Mm-hmm. Money to grow, money to pay yourself. I mean, it impacts everything. And so it was hugely impactful. Now, the, another lesson that I learned out of, this, out of this is don't count the chickens before they hatch. I was already counting like, yep. okay, oh, this is great. We're going to be this busy and I'm already planning it out. Right. And don't do that. Don't yeah. Do that's that. what I call, I mean, the importance of lowered expectations or at least no expectations. Cause if I think I got the thing in my hand and then I don't have it by the way, and then they take it away. They didn't take it away. It never, I never had it, but it feels like they took it away. Understand that. But I would change that from lowered expectations to being overconfident. Don't be overconfident. I know you and I are going to disagree I'm on a couple of these things. <laughs> or at least in a true sense, I'll be jokingly, but I'm not going to, I have to be like the top 1% of something before I brag about it usually. So I'm not worried about that, but, uh, but a lot of people can come across that way in a sales scenario, regardless. Yep. What's your oh, biggest advice for me to fix my ridiculousness? How much time do we have? <laughs> Not enough. We need a lifetime. And we got like, well, I don't know. One no. <laughs> so, you know, um, it, I know you, so I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here, but disadvantage, disadvantage, meaning I kind of already have a couple of things I would say to you, but what I would tell you, give me the truth, is, hit me with it. I can edit this um, out if I I hate it. No, 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 no. So what I would say is uh, take action. Take action. So the way I convinced myself to make a course back when I made my paid course was to charge people $50 for a not yet made one. And then the fact that people were paying me meant I had to finish it. And that literally got me to finish it in like a month or two or whatever. Yep. Yeah. So it's a great motivator. Yeah. Cause otherwise if it's just me and my decision-making, I can't, I can't usually get myself to do it. So I got to think about the people who I'll be missing out on if I don't create that type of thing or, or whatever, do some kind of mental gymnastics to figure yep. out how to motivate myself to help my customer or the people I'm trying to serve. So I'm in the process of reading a book. Have you read uh, Donald, Donald Miller's book, Building a Story Brand? No. So it's a I'm really great book. Building a Story Uh, Brand? Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. It's not a new book. I mean, it's been around for years. And literally, it's been sitting on my shelf for at least a couple of years because I have a problem with buying books. And so I eventually get to them all and so I'm finally to this one. Mm -hmm. And in this book, I'm about halfway through the book. And in the, as I'm listening to it and reading it at the same time, and in this book, he talks about the question of what keeps you up at night, right? And a lot of people have asked us that question as entrepreneurs ask us what keeps us up at night. But when we're thinking about building a brand, our focus should not be on what keeps us up at night. Our focus needs to be on what keeps our clients up at night. And that was a really big aha moment for me. Just This was today, Ben. That my focus in marketing, my focus in copy, because I mean, I'm always learning. I'm always willing mm-hmm. to grow. I'm always willing to say, hey, I don't understand this. Let me go figure it out. 
And when I read that, I'm like, it's real. It is about them. It's not about what keeps me up. It's about what keeps them up and how my products or my services help that person, my client, get a good night's sleep. Yeah. I think one of the best ways, because people always say create an avatar, create a target customer, and it's always difficult, but there's a guy, uh, Phil M. Jones, who I'm a big fan of, and he, he tells to make a missing person's report basically. So, cause if you lost your kids, right. What would you say to the cops? You'd say absolutely everything you could think of to describe what they were wearing, what they were doing, you know, anything that would help them find them. Yep. So if you take that same idea and apply it to your customer, I mean, even if it's division, even if it doesn't make sense to pick a guy or a girl or whatever, you can pick a 45 year old guy named Ted from, you know, what you can visualize him and then figure out, okay, well, where would that person hang out? Where do I go to yep. find that person? And then also to your point, what is keeping them up at night? So I have that document and I have three of those people in my business. <clears throat> Their names are Debbie, Dean, and Grace. I spent a lot of time and effort and research formulating the profile of those three people based on the last five years of my business. And I'd, I'd used data and then I used programs and I looked at what people were hiring me for, who they were, and I had visually had a face of a real life customer or customers mm -hmm. with each of those profiles that I was creating for the next phase of my business. So I used Ellen because Excel and. Oh, Ellen I like that. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I, like I can that. remember what this woman's name is, <laughs> but I don't have enough info about her. Meaning I'm not even at my first person being done, but you have three of them. And yep, it's Debbie Dean and Grace. Debbie Dean and Grace. Can you tell me what's different about them? Uh, Debbie, um, her real name is Debbie Dreamer. Debbie is a stay-at-home mom that has three kids, live in suburbia, doesn't want for anything. Her husband's extremely successful. She's got the minivan and the coffee club and hangs out with her girlfriends. And, you know, she is living a life that is unfulfilled. Um, she's got an idea for a business. Uh, she's maybe been doing a little bit of it on the side, having a little bit of success. But Debbie's primary driver, she is unfulfilled professionally by just being a stay-at-home mom and just being that person. And she wants more for her life and wants to contribute more to, or wants to contribute to the financial well-being of her family, not just rely solely on her husband. Right. And so she's got a great idea, but she doesn't know how to build that. She doesn't know what to do to take it to the next level. Okay. So that's Debbie. She's a dreamer. Mm -hmm. Then there's Dean and I call him Dean determined. Dean is a 45 to 55 year old business owner who has really been impacted by COVID. He had a successful business prior to COVID, but since COVID, he's found developing business to be very difficult. His revenue and his profits are shrinking. He's got a small team and he really wants to keep them in, in place. He's got an impactful business, but the changes that are happening in the world have really left him like, I don't know what to do. I don't Are know where Dean? to go. From. You sound like Dean. Is this Dean I'm a little you? bit. So there's a little bit of me in all of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's another part of, there's a little bit of me or somewhere in my journey about all of them. Okay. And then, then there's grace and grace is a grandma. Grace is retired. She's living her best life at the beach, but grace is just bored. 
retirement isn't what she really desired it to be. She really doesn't like just sitting around riding on the golf cart or walking on the beach every day. She just wants something to do. And she's got an idea for a business. She's got an idea that's going to take something to the next level. But again, like, like Debbie, she doesn't know exactly how to go about it or where to start because she's in her early sixties and has never built a business, especially an online business or a business that leverages online media or digital media, if you will, to really reach customers. So, and tech's not her best friend, right? So the older we are, the less techie that we really, we really, we really do. So But she's got this idea, but she's just really bored and she doesn't want to live the rest of her life just watching, you know, the Maury Povich show three times a day or Judge Judy or whatever on the TV. Right. So that's that's Debbie, Dean and Grace. And you see how they all tie together, right? Yeah. Well, I see Debbie. I was going to say Debbie and Grace definitely have more of the need of you to extract from them what their thing is. And Dean maybe already has his thing, but you need to extract what's he going to do with it from here. But either way, you're trying to basically pull out information from their head, repackage it and give it back to them in a way that they can implement. So the purpose of understanding the three of them and the reason the three of them are different is to help them understand how to build a digital sales playbook for their business. Each one of their playbooks will be different based on what they're selling, the market that they're after. Right. Right. And um, Dean's a little more advanced because he's got a business, but he always relied on outbound sales techniques, sales techniques. Well, guess what? Outbound and cold call sales techniques are ineffective. I was going to say, is that the same as cold calling? Yes. Is there any difference? Okay. So inbound would be more warm leads that are coming to you? Correct. So this is about, <clears throat> this is about seeking to be found by your ideal customer rather than always seeking to find them. Dean, like a lot of entrepreneurs, were taught that we needed to go find customers, mm-hmm. right? We need to go find them. And we needed to know where they were. We need to knock on their door. We need to cold call them. We need to do this. We need to do that. When was the last time you answered the phone from somebody that just dialed that their name didn't pop up in their, in your phone? Never. Or not so in cold, recent memory. Yeah. Cold outreach is ineffective, but that's, that's how great, Dean built his business. Because I don't do any of that. I, mean, yeah. I need people to find me randomly. So yes. <laughs> I stumbled so, into it. But that's what that's how Dean was taught, right? That's how Grace was taught, mm-hmm. that you go find people. Today's sales, in my opinion, is about people finding you. I mentioned earlier about the seeking generation. Thank you, Google, for giving people a tool that disrupted the way sales are done. The biggest pain point that exists right now for any business owner is that you can find my product from a competitor at a lower price by typing it into Google. Mm -hmm. I picture like a merman with a crown, a sea king (laughs) going around. (laughs) I don't know what he's doing, but uh, in order to get some of this, I usually have to visualize it. That's what I'm really realizing. That's good. Um, I like it. Related to sales, has there been... Has there ever been a time where you're like, okay, this tactic, this email, this thing that I'm about to do is amazing. It's going to be great. And then crickets. Have you had that happen to you? And if so, how often? Yes, I've had it happen to me more often than I care for it to happen. Okay. Because so much about this is about testing. 
Also something that I learned recently is about testing. You've heard me talk about this before. Go test it. Go see what happens, right? Yeah, you're all about testies. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. But you go test it. Yeah. And then you get feedback from the client. And if you put a product out there and you get crickets, okay, then um, there's something wrong. It may not be the product, okay? And most likely it's not the product. More likely it's actually the copy or the messaging around the product, okay? The product could be great and everybody could really need it, but the way you market it or the way you packaged it, the messaging needs work. So, you know, is it really ideal to put a product out there and say, hey, I'm going to host this workshop. It's $29 and one person buys. No, that doesn't make you feel good, right? If you build it, it they it, will come does not. Yeah, no, it does it's, not. At least without a lot of time and mm. a lot of people finding it by accident. Yeah, but that does give you the opportunity though to look at the messaging, look at the copy, look at the landing page, look at the graphics mm-hmm. and then go do it again and test it. So you're going to love this. I have this lifetime deal, as you know, to a lot of software. And so one that I have, you can take a call to action. You can take a color. You can take a picture of a thing. You can take four or five different elements. It'll spit out 1500 versions of it. And then it will tell you the highest percentage click rate across all of them. Okay. That's pretty cool. What's that software called? It's called Marpipe. I bought it for $69 once on AppSumo. It's now $2,500 a month minimum. Never mind. I, that's $25. I have it for life and I don't even write ads every month. Wow. It resets. So meaning try it out. Yeah. yeah. Right? Tell me the name of it again. Marpipe, M-A-R-P-I-P-E dot com. I think if you go, okay. you'll find it. I'll check it. I'll check it out. Look at the because, price and go, okay, I'm going to go talk to Ben. <laughs> okay. I will do that. I will do that. Because I think that a lot of times when something doesn't work, we internalize it to say it's either me or it's the product. And most times that's not true. It's just actually the way we packaged it or what we said about it. And even sometimes it's when we say it in person. I mean, I've caught myself saying things in person, like I get off the phone or get out of a clubhouse room. I'm like, what the heck was that, dude? Where did that, what what did you just say? It just goes to the benefit of writing things down and, you know, practicing and doing to see if you can get the copyright. Because here's the thing, Ben, people may, people buy based on emotions, a sales purchase, whatever they're purchasing is emotional decision. They back it up with logic. And so if you're not really pulling on the heartstrings or tapping into the emotion or the pain point, which also yep. drives emotion, then you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. So, and I've caught myself doing that a lot. I talk very strategically and, you know, da, 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 but I, but this is another thing that I've learned not too long ago was about be sure that the title of your product, your program or whatever it is, clearly communicates a transformation. Like, what am I going to get out? I need to know what I'm getting out of it. Absolutely. My, my viewpoint's a bit different because I've owned about, I don't know, 100 to 200 domains, some of which I had to spell every time I told somebody some of which were just memorable and easy to go to. So I would definitely prioritize memorable, spellable, a bunch of other things, but yep. either way, you got to make something that's worth going to find regardless. Yes. And easier to find is, is always helpful. I'm always amazed at how 
much we overestimate how much people know about us. Oh yeah. For example, I don't even know if you listened to an episode of the podcast, but I do know when I was driving around with this failure guy license plate and I had a bumper sticker that said failureguy.com and I told people to go take a, they're already taking pictures. I just said, email me the picture. One person did it in like a year and I'm seeing everybody take a picture and they got to be able to zoom it. Like it's so hard to get people to do things. You can, you can like lubricate the entire process or whatever you want to call it to make it as easy as possible. And you're still going to miss a bunch of people because everybody's too lazy these days or whatever, or their, their guards high, whatever the thing is Mm -hmm. that it's really a percentage game. And so if you're going to be any good at sales, you got to get used to um, misfiring a lot. Yeah. Well, there are statistics, depending if you're, especially if you're selling things online, right. There are statistics that say that like, like really less than 20% of the people will actually buy. So I forget the exact statistics. I could look them up and share them with you, Ben, but there is a, there's statistics. I think it's close to 20%. And that's 20% you you got to talk to like 20 times or something, right? Yes. I hate that part so much. Yep. Yep. I want to talk to him one time. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. But also if you want 200 people, then you got to talk to like 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing a webinar and I don't, I, I need to work, go find the okay. statistics. It'd but if you need, if you say that again, it'd be 400. Okay. See, I can't even do the math. Do 10% and then double it. 2,000 to 200, 400. Okay. We'll You've cut got Excel out. in your brain. I mean, it's like, I love math because I can't read it. I literally can't read a book. <laughs> this book. I can read a book and you do the math. It's 111 pages. I've not finished it and I've had it for, Four years, probably. <laughs> still, still reading it though. Thirty minutes a day. Thirty minutes get, a day. This That's one my you got to do the, the thing for thirty days straight, and then you go to the next lesson. Uh, uh, I just got like screwed by never completing the first one. Sure, sure. Yep, I get that. Read it though. The greatest salesman in the world. It's in the religion section, so you'll love that. I was like, what the hell? The greatest salesman in the world. Religion? What? Is what okay, I said. I'll check it and out. then I read it and I go, okay, this is great. I'm on page 55 eternally, but I will. Right, I wrote it down. On. Yeah, I, I promise you, you'll love it. And it's so quick for you. <laughs> it's because I read 30 minutes a day every day. So, well, this one you got to do the same one over and over for 30 days. First one's about love. You know, oh. I will greet this day with love. And okay. if that's the only thing check you learn out. from it, it says, you'll be a good salesman. So I'm stuck on it because I got to learn it before. I, I don't want to go into the next <laughs> thing, but it's from 1968. So it's a pretty wow. old book. Ogmandino. You ever heard of him? I've heard the name, but that doesn't mean anything. It could go for an update. So I'm, I'm writing a book. I don't know if I've told you. No, what's it about? It's called When Givers Meet. So it's like the go-giver, but two go-givers. And then like an arms race of giving in the best way possible. I'm not going to use arms race as a way of talking about it, but it's more like when two people who actually are value based people try to give and give and give, they just keep giving to each other until they both make out amazingly. And that's great. The takers just end up not getting as much as they could have if they had a different attitude. Yeah. I love that. When give, when is it going to be ready, Ben? I don't know. I've, re- I've recorded two hours of me talking into a thing and then I had AI transcribe it. Ooh, that's progress. It's great progress. I just brain dumped 
Yeah, because I've done it before in typing, but I did 3,000 words one night, but I, I hate, I'm not a big typer. So the robots can write it down. I'll just talk forever like I typically can do, as you know, <laughs> from clubhouse rooms and other things like that. Uh, That's awesome. Do you have a, where are we on time? Okay. Is there any specific stories about failure? I'm going to cut most of this out right now, but usually there's two questions at the end that are more forward looking. So I want to make sure if we touch on anything in the past before we get to those. Um, I mean, I'm game to answer whatever question you want to ask me. So if you want to ask me something else or, I mean, how many companies did you work for? It sounds like you worked for one for like 30 years. And before that you worked for a couple. It's a really great question. How many companies did I work for? So I can count them real quick. Please do. Real quick. I'm counting. I know. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Hey there, it's Ben. Did you know the average podcast takes between 60 and 90 minutes to edit? And myself, I know I'm I'm usually four to five times whatever the episode length is. So it's way more than that for me. But even on average, while this might not seem like a long time, it can be a big opportunity cost for successful business owners and podcasters who are uh, doing weekly episodes. I'll be honest, I don't edit all of my podcasts anymore. This one's included. I'd rather spend time doing my podcast than editing it. That's why I use Amplify Media Group. Amplify takes the pain out of producing so that I can do what I do best. They edit and clean up the audio. And I also love the feature where they create video shorts from snippets for each podcast to share on different social media outlets. If you have a podcast, I'd highly recommend using Amplify Media Group for all your podcast editing needs. I hope it's six. In 30 years, nine companies. Okay. I've been fired from six. You've worked and got fired from none. Out of no, nine. I've never been fired. Yeah, I've never been fired. I'm I've quit six. on a couple very abruptly. See, but I never did that. I was just, I quit mentally and then I stayed. Mm. I quit you on one. Paid. You still get paid. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But I, I quit on two very abruptly. The rest of them, like the longest tenure was 10 years, most recent company. Then prior to that, the longest tenure was six years. So which one um, did you feel most connected to or most uh, loyal to? Is it the 10 one? That's a really great question. And what I would tell you is at different stages in my life, I felt con- extremely connected to both of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the one for six years is where my career really started to skyrocket and grow. Um, it's where I really found my legs, if you will, in the sales world. I had an unbelievable mentor that taught me a lot and really gave me my first opportunity to be a leader but, you know, really helped me. I was a, I grew into be a global account manager working with that, with this particular brand with, uh, you know, a percentage of their largest customers in the world. I got to travel the world and then I got promoted to be a manager, a, a leader, basically a director is what it was called. And I remember um, the third time I got the call, I drove home, it meant moving to Michigan. And I was like, ah, I don't want to move to Michigan. And I remember I got the call about joining the leadership team from my boss who was getting a promotion and moving on. And it was the third time they had asked me to take a leadership position. And I remember I was driving home and I got home. I said to my wife, 
they've asked me to move to Michigan again. My dad had always told me they're only going to ask you three times after the third time, they're not going to ask you again. So I said, yes. And we moved to West Michigan and I really stepped into leadership then. And then after that, all, all the jobs I had after that were leadership. So leading up to that one was individual contributor roles. And so then I got, you know, up to the leadership. And once I got into the leadership category, I actually never left leadership. So. Well, that must be nice because I frequently hit a ceiling where there's like, no, you keep working on an Excel. You can't be the guy who's managing people because we need you to do the technical skill. Oh, dude, I, I battled that. I did. How'd you, how'd my, you get past it? So <clears throat> you just said you don't know how to do the stuff. That <laughs> no. So in the company that I worked for for 10 years, I joined as a regional vice president. And so I had a certain region of the country. And then there was an op- there was an opportunity to become a senior vice president. And they were owned by a private. By this time, they were owned by a private equity company. And I was being I had been told I had been told that the opportunity would be mine when it came along. Right. Mm -hmm. And the PE company said, you don't promote your best performing people. And I like that is BS. And I just kept fighting and fighting and proving my case Mm -hmm. until I got that job. And then when I got that job, I crushed it even more. And I I would try, I would yell into the void and I didn't do pretty it the much. best way possible, meaning you probably were diplomatic and political. I was no, just like, not always so me to say it that way. <laughs> I mean, I would just get upset and frustrated and, you know, go deeper. Into I had to remember this. You know, I remember having some very pointy conversations about it and that, you know, um, anyways, but I got the job. But when I got the job, I proved that it was the right decision by the impact that I had on the company and the things I was able to do, the team that I led, the performance of the team that I led, the programs that I came up with. I came up with a program idea mm-hmm. for this particular company. It's about three years before I left. Today, that program is still in existence. It's been modified a little bit, which it should have been to change with time. It is the single largest revenue producing program in the company's history and is single largest line item revenue every year for this company. What have you taken from that and applied to your own business? And if it's nothing, I will be mad at you. <laughs> um, so it's a really, that's a really great question. And what I'll tell you is Thank you. Um, creativity, like mm-hmm. just be creative, dude. You see this whiteboard behind me, me and this whiteboard have a conversation on the daily. Yeah. Like I'm mapping out ideas. I'm putting things on. I got sticky notes in drawers. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's literally just having the courage to write down the ideas, to write out the plan. It may not work, but at least try to get them on a piece of paper to formulate it. And that's honestly been, that's where the digital sales playbook came from was me standing in front of that whiteboard, trying to solve a problem because what happened with the program that I created, I solved a problem for mm-hmm. the customer. Right. And I got the company, it took me a, over a year to get the CEO to agree to it. Okay. But now you look back and they're like, this was a really, really great decision. And my fingerprints are on that. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, this is about how do I solve a problem? Because one of my strengths, one of my gifts is solving complex problems and Same just here. looking do we say that again? Same here. I mean, I yeah. love the big picture stuff. I hate yeah. the mundane manual things. I like to think what's the big complexity? How many different ways can we look at it? 
Yep. Go ahead. How do you break it down? Right. And so I wrote down problems that I was hearing from business owners about sales and about the challenges of Google, right? The frustration of the internet. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how do I help businesses solve this problem that don't really have a presence on the internet or they just have the obligatory, oh yeah, go to my website. That's full of crap. There's, you know, just is awful. Was this back no when they had the under construction gifts yeah. and the GeoCities <laughs> <Yeah>. pages? <laughs> or the contact form that's hidden on the, you know, 50th the page way down the or on the site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then it's when I started like, how do I solve this problem? That's how I came up with the digital sales playbook because it solves a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Um, do you have any last comments on failure, prior failures, before we go on to the forward looking stuff, that's going to be uh, less about what you've already done and more about what you may or may not do. Sure. So I'm going to say what you probably have heard me say, probably don't want me to say, but I'm saying it anyway. Please do it. Cause I forget okay. everything you say. I just purge <laughs> it all. Okay. Why do you purge everything I say? That's not, that's I not purge cool. so many things that I don't want to hear. <laughs> You're telling me what I don't want to hear usually. So here's what I'm going to tell you. And I'll tell all your listeners out there, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. Maybe, but I'll agree. You're right. I just won't necessarily do anything. <laughs> Cause I'm on the failure guy podcast. So I'm going to say out loud, I don't believe in failure. Oh, I love it. Cause I've gotten a bunch of times and even from you. Okay. Now I do remember this. I'm not, I didn't yep. purge this. Go ahead. Say what you're so, going to say about it. Yeah. I don't believe in failure. I believe you get the result that you wanted or the lesson that you needed. So this word means nothing. You don't believe in it. Is that what that means? <laughs> I choose. He's pointing to the sign behind him. If you're listening, that says failure on it. I believe it's a learning opportunity. And the Me reason too. I frame it that way. We ben, always get into the point where we agree in a clubhouse room and yes. you have to come at it from the, the other perspective. And I have to say, well, I don't really mean I'm the worst or whatever, but go ahead. Well, here's the reason I reframe it this way is failure has a very permanent and negative connotation with it. And I choose to live my life on the positive side. I choose to live my life with the forward thinking side. So what if I was saying that I was trying to take that word and make it not so negative and take the sting out of it, would you still say no? No, if that's what you're trying to do, that's the mission and the objective, then I could support that. Yes. Because agree to agree. Agree. Yes, we agree. So there's so much negativity in the world and we see it on the daily, right? And the world doesn't need any more of that. What we need is more positivity. What we need is more people lifting each other up. What we need is co-opetition rather than competition. What we need is to literally lock arms and support each other. For those of us that are further down our career, what we need to do is reach behind us and lift people up and help bring people up. And no, that's the really way quick, I choose. Notice that I am the failure guy. I'm the world's number one failure. It's all self-deprecating and I'm not putting it on the listener or even Point well the taken. guest. Point well taken. I like that. I like that you own that. I really do like that you own that. But back to my thing, you either get the result you wanted or the lesson that you needed. But here's the thing. If you don't learn from the lesson. And if you don't heed the lesson, then it didn't, it, then it, then it really becomes failure. It becomes That's what permanent. My thing is. So the only yeah. real failure is giving up on something that you shouldn't give up on. Yes. Is what correct. I would say. 
Correct. And so I think a lot of people though, don't do something because of fear of failure, regardless oh, yeah. of if you think it's a thing or not, it is. And so I want them to be like, okay, well, I got to get comfortable with failure. That's why I put on my license plate. I looked at it every morning. I was like, some mornings I was like, what am I doing? This is stupid. Why am I doing this to myself? I'm literally, I have to call myself a failure every day, but then I ended up not caring at some point and really taking the actual sting out of it for myself. And also my tone sucks a lot. So I, I can't be talking down to you if I'm the worst, you know? So it's gotta be like, here you go. Here's from yep. underneath you. Some I like that. But being a guest on the podcast, you get a get out of fail free card, which is <laughs> not yet made into a real thing. So I'm going to hand this to you through the okay, virtual Okay, great. Tubes. I'm going to take it. Perfect. Oh, nice. So get out of fail free card. You've played the Monopoly game, I would imagine. Yes, I have. So this one really truly is nothing like the Monopoly one. It just kind of rhymes <laughs> with it. So if, if you could go ahead and either go back in time or even right now, it doesn't matter what scenario you put yourself in, but if you could pursue something that you've avoided, but you wanted to do be in a band workout, I don't even know what it is. I'm just throwing random things out there. Is there a hobby or a passion or something that you've avoided because of the amount of failure involved? And if you had to get out of fail free card, you would use it to cash it in on that specific thing. That's a really good question too. <clears throat> so, um, you know, you said something a second ago, but you know, fear holds people back and it does. Mm -hmm. And even me, it holds me back. And the you're fear human? that you're human. Yeah, said? yeah, I know I am. Human. No, my, I got a cape on. No, uh, you're not <laughs> a super, I know that much. <laughs> my super Sid cape on dude. Let's go. No. What I would say is, um, for me at the top of that list is to write a book, to write a book. I have the you title, use the card for real on that one. There's no reason you can't write a book. Yeah. I, um, thank you for that. I have, uh, I actually have an outline. I have a book cover that I created in Canva. I have a lifetime deal to publishing software. So I can publish <laughs> no, up to 24 no, books. I'm not don't. even kidding. I'm not kidding. Man, how many printing. lifetime deals do you I have? I spent over $11,000 on that website and I still <laughs> buy more. So talk to me before you do anything with uh, software. Please. I love it. So, um, you know, that to me, that's my fear there is nobody will buy it. Right. Who cares? Nobody will buy the book. Nobody's buying it already. Yes. It's that point is well taken. Nobody's buying what I'm not publishing. That's, that's, yeah. that's point. Well taken. Same spot. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I have an outline, I have a cover, I have an idea. Can but you give us a little tip or a little tidbit or a little insight. I give you the whole name of mine and everything, but I don't expect <laughs> you to do that. I, well, right now, the name of it is the digital, the digital sales playbook creative. Yeah, I know. It's very, very real. I very thought you talked about creativity being important. Wasn't that part of the thing recently? <laughs> I circled it. It's very original. Okay. <laughs> Digital sales playbook. So it's uh that's what it is right now. It's a work in progress. I've got Kit method. Say that again. Much better. KitKat method. The Kit you might run into method. some problems with using the name, but something so, catchy, <laughs> something not dry, you know, I know, but you'll get there. You're right. Yes, the I will. It out. So I'm, um, I'm playing around with it. I needed the, so what happens is I feel like creatively I can come up with a lot of ideas, mm -hmm. but put me in front of Canva to design something. And I just like stare at it for hours. Like what How did they write a book like? back in this guy's day, 1968 or prior? There's been books. I'm sure you like the Bible. Yeah. That's an old one, right? Yeah. How'd they do it? 
Trying to sit down and start writing. Something else like, who knows, stone and uh, chisel? Yeah. <laughs> On a tablet, you chisel do it. You don't have to go yeah. on Canva, I promise you. <laughs> so I mean, I'm getting there. I have an outline, but here's the, here. This is the number one problem with this and a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And I'm fully acknowledging, and I never realized this until this year. Okay. When somebody called me out for it, I'm an overthinker. Yeah. I also, overthink it's great it. that I get to call you out in this one time. <laughs> I'm here like a captive audience. And so I get to say whatever I want, but yeah, you do. I'm an overthinker too, though. Yep. To a fall. An overthinker trying to check every box. <clears throat> and I, you know, I don't know how I got that way. I could not tell you. I am certainly not risk adverse by any means. Does it present as perfectionism? Like it very well could be from 95% complete to 100%. You still need to feel like you got to get that last 5%. Mm-hmm. So part of this, I think is for, this is my thoughts, but I'm an overthinker. Because if it's perfect, then they will buy, right? And so that's the fear of coming through of, well, then nobody will buy it, right? So I overthink it to try to make it perfect so that they will buy it and that's irresistible. But the reality is that I just need to put it out there and quit overthinking and and then adjust as I move forward. So I've that got a sense. bunch of books for you to read. I already put them in the chapter here. Dude, I don't, I don't need any more books. <laughs> this is the only time I get to do whatever I want. Bird by bird. I've read it twice. Bird by bird. I'm going to put it in my notes. Just hit. All right. Go to the zoom chat, click the two dots and all right. Click save chat. It'll save everything I wrote into a text file. Okay. Because every one of those books is gold. And that tip I just gave you is gold as well. You're gold, Ben. What? You're gold may never (laughs) Fade? Is that his quote? I don't even know. So I don't get the option to save the chat. I just got the option to copy it. But that's oh, okay. son of a biscuit. That's okay. I got it copied, man. I, I'm on it the go. A, it must be some sort of a That's probably a uh, thing that you oh, have to send do. it to you either way. No, no, no. I got it already. Well, so I'm going to cut this out. But the, the How to Persuade and Get Paid is only on Audible. It's just an Audible book. It's a workshop, live workshop thing, but it's amazing. I've, I'm listening to it for the fifth time, basically. So I have lots of Audible credits that Good. I haven't used. So use these for these. Seth Godin, this is marketing. I know you're going to oh, be like, I've got I that. Don't. Oh, perfect. I've got that right here. I've already read it. Awesome. So any other Seth Godin book, Purple Cow, I don't care. Oh, yeah, I've read marketing. the Purple Cow, too. I can keep going. The Practice is the most recent one. Do you have that one? No, I don't have that one. I've read the I other two. I it to you. Because if you have audible credits, he sounds better than your own head. And maybe the you'll practice by uh, Seth Godin. Yeah, it was, a, it was in the last year or two it came out. And yeah, I read then, the uh, I read the Purple Cow doing some research for a client. Yeah, that was like, a oh my gosh! Did you see the long. there was a commercial I just saw where they had had a purple cow. It was like a, oh a roller coaster thing. I don't know if what company no, it was. I didn't like, see they that. just stole his his thing. Well, exactly. His I thing. don't watch TV, so I try not to, at least with commercials. So much bad stuff. Yeah. It was because March Madness was on <laughs> I'm in Kansas. So, ah. uh, and we weren't even watching, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Yep. So the last question before we find or tell people where to find you is what is the next thing you're going to fail at? And it sounds like it's going to be writing a book, <laughs> but if there's something else that you're going to uh, pursue, and you're not sure and you're going to fail it till you nail it. What would be that big thing? Maybe the book isn't as important as, as your entrepreneur 
uh, journey so, that you're taking uh, Dean and Debbie and Grace on? Yeah. So actually, no, I don't think it's going to be the book. Um, what I think needs continual work and um, focus is building the entrepreneur community that I'm trying to build. And it's struggling because I don't have the bandwidth to build it right this second. Got software for communities and stuff. <laughs> Promising. You got more free software. <laughs> I got easy buttons all over the place for you. Yeah. So for part, for, but for me, it's the, I don't have the opportunity to focus because very fortunately uh, my business is booming right now and I'm super busy. I've got a lot of new clients. I'm doing a partnership with two other consultants and launching a new brand. And so all of a sudden I find myself unbelievably busy without the time to focus on building the community. And so that's had to take a back seat for the time being, but that to me is going to be the biggest struggle of 2022 is going to be getting a thousand entrepreneurs into the amazing entrepreneurs club discord server. That's going to be my biggest challenge this year. Not writing the book. Cause I could honestly, if I went to hang out at an Airbnb in the mountains for a week, I'd have the whole book written. And Just talk to your voice memos. App, I, know I, I promise to. you. And then give it to me and I'll AI transcribe it. It's not even hard, <laughs> but do whatever way you want. So where can people go if they want to see what you're doing, if they want to be part of those thousand people, if sure. they want to just catch up with you, what's the best place to go? So the very best place to hang out with me, to talk to me is to engage with me would be LinkedIn or Instagram. Those are the two places I hang out as early social media channels. If you want to know all about me and see the things that I'm doing, it's super easy. Just head over to SidMeadows.com and uh, you can look at some of the stuff that I'm doing. I have two podcasts. Um, and then um, so, uh, the first one is called the trend report. Unless you sell office furniture, you're probably not going to like the trend report because it's specifically for people who manufacture, distribute and sell office furniture. I thought you're supposed to pitch people on this stuff. Yeah. Ahead. Okay. Unless you're in if a hyper specific, no longer relevant market. <laughs> no, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it is hyper-specific, is very niche down to people that sell office furniture, but it's uh, two years old. April the 1st, it was two years old and doing really well. We'll launch episode 100 in June and super excited about that podcast. It's fully monetized and sponsored. I have a great relationship with my sponsor and um, it's a great podcast. I really enjoy it. Uh, the second podcast is only a couple of months old called The Amazing Entrepreneurs Club, where we share inspiration and stories from other entrepreneurs and give them a platform to tell their story, but also to share tips and insights from their journey to help other entrepreneurs along your journey. So it's very insightful. Um, there's a couple of episodes that happen. There's an interview episode, then there's what we call 10 to Win. And 10 to Win is a 10-minute episode sharing tips. It's all, anything and everything to do with entrepreneurship or in the 10 to win. We're on a one month break right now as we do some additional marketing of the podcast first. So no new episodes where I think we got to episode 25. Now we're taking a month off to do some marketing to really beef up the listenership and get the brand of it out there. So those are the two podcasts. You can find both of those at sidmeadows.com or the links to them there. And then you can learn about me and what I do, my family, my business, and hear a little bit about my journey over there. So that's the primary website to go find me. Awesome. But if you can't find them, just pester me. Now point you towards Sid. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, if you Google me, I'm going to come up right at the very top. Unfortunately? So, no, I think it's a really good thing to, if you want to be, you know, when you Google Sid Meadows, you're very intentionally doing it. Then I'm going to come up with some other guy with gray hair and a beard that went to jail. So 
I'll be me. But I'm not the one with, with the a beard, beard and me without a beard. And <laughs> me without a beard looks terrible. So I'm trying to outrank myself now. But thank you That's for coming great. on the podcast. I appreciate you sharing, uh, you know, some of the more difficult times. And oh, sure. uh, I'm glad that we finally got to do this because we've known each other a lot longer than most guests have known me. And so uh, I'm glad that we got to uh, to talk about some of your stuff because. Well, it's my pleasure. We're talking about me. <laughs> I get that. Yes, we are. Typically we're talking about you and all the action you're going to take. So no, I do appreciate it. I always enjoy being on podcasts, be able to share my voice. And, you know, if I can help one person today, then this has been time well spent with somebody learning from my journey or if I impacted them in one way. And for me, that's what it's about. It's about impacting people each and every day. And for me, it's about taking one step forward in my life, my business every day. So if you can move 1% forward or one step forward each and every day, it's going to be a great year. I'd say every one of my guests has impacted me in some way. So you've already done it with at least me. So I don't have to release it. All right. You're good. You're all set. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Today. I appreciate <laughs> Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.